Hey guys, welcome to the 31st episode of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. Since our last episode, we got an outpouring of reviews on all podcast platforms. Thank you so much for responding to us. The positive reviews and comments on social media platforms are amazing, and we really get excited to read them. You guys are truly kind. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, We just want to make all of you happy. So that's our goal with the podcast is just to keep improving. Obviously, we know there are some audio issues. Right now, we're only working with one mic. We are working to afford a second one and a mixer, but it's all going to come in due time. Again, leaving those five-star reviews are so important to us and getting bigger and noticed. If you are interested in helping us out a little bit more, you can do so by helping us on Patreon. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. As a Patreon supporter, you will get extra exclusive episodes we promise you'll love. And as always, if you want to contact us or give an episode suggestion, You can email us at truecrimecouple at gmail.com. We are keeping a list of listener requests, so we promise we'll get to them. They're just on a list. Also, before we start, we want to give a huge shout out to True Crime Magazine at truecrimemag.com. This online magazine is an amazing resource for all true crime podcast lovers. Recently, they just released an article which shows 24 unreleased high-quality photos from Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. Honestly, their photo archives are unrivaled, and we often use them as a source for our episodes and for what we post on Twitter and Instagram. I really enjoyed the tour inside Heaven's Gate. It was really some footage that you never got to see anywhere else. And I can always rely on the editors to choose amazing articles that I always love to read with details that I've never heard before. So subscribe to True Crime Magazine today. You won't regret it. Okay, so let's get into this week's episode. Today we will be covering a case that broke the hearts of a North Carolina county in November of last year. A three-year-old beautiful girl was taken from her home despite the fact that her mother, her mother's boyfriend, and her two older brothers were in the home sleeping at the time. There were no signs of forced entry, just an empty pink bed and a frantic couple. So who took Mariah Woods? Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. In the early morning hours of November 27, 2017, a 911 call comes in to Onslow County, North Carolina dispatchers. Christy Woods and her boyfriend, Earl Kimray, are breathlessly reporting that they cannot find Christy's three-year-old daughter, Mariah. According to them, they had returned from a trip the night before and put Mariah and her two brothers to bed between 8 and 8.30 p.m. When they went to go wake her up the next morning, She wasn't there. The last signs of Mariah were the pink footy pajamas that she was wearing laying on the floor at the foot of her bed, as were the special shoes that the little girl needed to properly walk as she suffered from muscular dystrophy. She already knows where to be found. We just looked everywhere in our house. In our yard, in our little girl, our little girl, she's missing. Okay, how old is she, sir? 
Rachel from you, okay? Yes, ma'am. All right, so when was the last time you seen her? We went to bed last night. Never went to bed at the same time. And what time is that, sir? Okay, now 
Now, was there any letters or anything left behind? Do you think anyone Okay. Now, just trying to find a recent photo of her, sir. Make any list of friends or addresses, phone numbers that you feel that she may go to or anyone that she knows in the area, sir, that she's familiar with. Okay? Okay. All right. Just trying to locate her and have someone stay at home just in case she does return. If she is located, sir, give us a call back immediately, okay? After the 911 call was placed, an Amber Alert was sent throughout the state of North Carolina. And this is how, while driving to work, Alex Woods, who was the biological father of Mariah and her two older brothers, found out that his daughter was missing. Panicked, he pulled over, desperately called his ex-wife, and asked her if this was just a terrible mistake. But it was not. So that's how he found out that his daughter was missing through a uh, Amber Alert that was over a radio. Could you imagine? No, I couldn't imagine finding out that way. Like that's that is not acceptable to find out through an Amber Alert. No, I mean, I mean, at well, least the- Amber Alert is working. But I mean, this was not the way he should have found out. Yeah, the two have a very kind of troubled relationship and they're going through like a bitter custody dispute right. after the divorce that took place and they were not on speaking terms at the time there's some legal matters between the two where they're not allowed to speak to each other because of the fact that it gets pretty hostile okay but once again just like it always happens the only one that gets affected is the child yeah the, you know and, what i mean and the children in this case yeah. because she has Mariah has two brothers. One is five and one is ten. Okay. So they're very young children that are in the middle of this custody dispute. That's that's hard. Yeah. In the days following the disappearance of three-year-old Mariah Woods, the town of Jacksonville rallied around the Woods family. Jacksonville, North Carolina is a very interesting town in that it's so diverse. Jacksonville is home to Camp Lejeune, the 246-square-mile marine training facility. The camp's 14 miles of beaches and dense woods allows it to be the perfect area for amphibious assault training of the United States Marine Corps. Families and Marines from around the country relocate to Jacksonville, making it a true town of the country. That is why on the 911 call, we hear the 911 operator ask if Mariah could be with a neighbor. And I, I know it's really difficult to hear that 911 call because Kimry is breathless and it seems to be like a bad reception kind of area. But the, the audio is not the best. But when she asks that question, he responds, no, they're military. They're not friendly. That's about, weird. About what, yeah, very strange because it's just a ridiculous generalization. Right, right. That's that's wrong and also insulting to the people of Jacksonville, right? Because that's like the backbone of that community is right. the yeah. Marine base. Oh, absolutely. But there's more to this statement that we're going to get into later. And there's a reason why the neighbors are kind of hostile towards the Woods-Kimry family, I guess you could call it. Okay. Jacksonville's also home to my sister and brother-in-law. <laughs> that's true. Yes. <laughs> Who's He's also a Marine. And as this case just recently happened, it was actually my sister who called me as soon as the girl went missing. And she told me that the town, which is full of young children, was on edge. 
And that makes sense because you have a whole bunch of Marines living in Jacksonville. And because they're young and they're serving in the military, their families are there, right? Right. And the town's going to go on high alert because now a girl was taken from her house while the family was sleeping. And they all have young children because they're young families. They also probably all have guns. (laughs) Yes. So this makes it a very tense situation in Jacksonville, North Carolina. She also told me, though, that the town's going to rally around the Woods family. And so many people went out and helped in the search for the three-year-old girl. But like I said, the town was on heightened alert. Based on the brazen nature of the crime, it seemed like it would only happen again. Were the children of Jacksonville in danger? Now, this prompted a town full of Marines and their families to act alongside federal and state law enforcement. More than 225 members of 14 local, state, and federal agencies have conducted nearly 100 interviews and followed more than 140 leads in the subsequent days after the disappearance. Some of the agencies that got involved were the FBI's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team and Team Adam from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. In addition to the efforts of law enforcement, around 730 volunteers participated in the search for Mariah, combing the wetlands, the woods, and the beach areas. Investigators also sorted through 95,000 pounds of trash by hand. That's impressive. It is. But when police are going to focus on searching trash, it kind of makes you wonder if they feel like the child is not missing, but has passed away. That's true. But I mean, I guess it's one of those things where you don't want to leave no stone unturned kind yeah. of thing. No, I understand. I mean, even if, could you, I mean, could you, could you imagine the kids alive? Well, you got it. And, and you got to get it somehow? before. Well, no, cause they're looking for the body. No, no, I know. I know. Combing the trash. Well, let me just, let me reiterate. <laughs> let me reiterate. You, you know what I meant. You know what I meant. I know. I know what okay. you meant. But <laughs> I, that was good. You know, sometimes that just happens every yeah. once in a while. Yeah, you never know. Um, but, it's they have to search it before it goes obviously to any landfill or wherever it's headed. Gotcha. Good. We need I, I, you I'm on the so case. Glad, I'm so glad now people think like <laughs> I'm an idiot. You got Oscar <laughs> the Grouch hiding in the trash now. Awesome. As law enforcement and volunteers searched, the Woods family received an outpouring of love and support. Alex Woods, Mariah's biological father, agreed to give an interview to a local news station. In that interview, when asked about hearing the Amber Alert, he said, It was unreal. It's a nightmare. You hear about this stuff all the time, but you never think it's going to happen to you or your kids. But the interviews that we hear from Alex Woods are very different from the ones that we hear from Christy Woods. Because in the news media, we hear Christy's pleas for the return of Mariah. Whereas we're going to see... Alex Woods gives some interviews and it's not it's not really a plea for Mariah to be returned safely. I mean obviously that is what he wants, but he kind of talks a little bit more about his his suspicions that he has. Do you think Mariah was abducted? No. <laughs> and somebody just walked right up in there. Grabbed the three-year-old out the bed. She didn't cry. She didn't scream. She didn't, nobody heard nothing. Four people in the house, two adults and two kids, and 
I think she's alive. As a parent. As a parent. And we want to believe to keep yes. The faith and the hope. I would love to say yes, but. But knowing what we've been going through. Deep down in my heart and got that little feeling. It's not looking good at all. Between the two, it's it's very different. Whereas Christy Woods is believing that her daughter was abducted, but it seems like. Alex Woods, and that was the woman that you heard on that recording, that's his fiance, Heather Kraft. It seems like they know a truth that's different to what the public is seeing. I mean, you can say that, or you can really chalk this up to, which I know might sound odd to some, but you could chalk it up to just someone that's a, they're a realist, right? They know that their kid is missing. He finds that that is a little suspicious that no one heard anything and that she didn't scream or say anything and just just disappeared. Right. And then as far as to say, well, I would love to hope and pray, you know, that, you know, God would, you know, faith and all this stuff would bring my kid back. I think he's just trying to say when it's taken this long to find her there, of course, there's a possibility that she that could be something dead. Might happen. So that's people reading into it too much. I mean, possibly. I'm just saying that someone like that I could relate to because you want the best possible outcome. But you have to prepare yourself. But you yourself. have to prepare yourself for what could most likely be the case that she might be dead. No, it's very true. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. During the search, the Jacksonville Police Department begins working in conjunction with the FBI. Two days into the search, the U.S. Marines officially join the investigation. Now, the Marines join not just because they want to help in the search and the investigation but in order to get permission to search certain areas in Jacksonville they need to get the okay from the U.S. Marines and having them work in the investigation just makes that process a little bit easier yeah the three have a tricky case ahead of them the main question is as Alex Wood stated how could someone walk into a trailer full of five people. This isn't a house where things could be done quietly. It's a double wide trailer where the space is a little bit more limited. Will you be surprised about double wides? No, I'm saying yes, they, I, they can surprise you. However, it's a tighter space. No, I understand. Than a house I know, would I know what you be. Mean. I know, I completely understand. And especially when you talk about entry and exit points. Right, I mean, there's they're only, limited. most of the time there's only one way out of them. Correct. So how could someone walk into a trailer full of five people, wake no one, grab a three-year-old, and leave with no one waking? That's very odd. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, right there is like a red flag, because right. how does one do that unless... This child knows the abductor. Right. right and wouldn't cry out. And but wouldn't I, cry out. But even if a three-year-old knows the abductor, I think you would still cry out. Well, especially because Being woken mean, from a sleep. I mean, I'll be honest. I've never lived in a double wide, nor is there anything wrong with it. But I'm saying, I mean, I don't think there's walls that... Yeah, there are. It's there like, are? There are, yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's... But I mean, it's But more, they're thin. They're very okay. thin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it seems like the best thing that law enforcement could do would be to question the family members that were home at the time of the kidnapping and get the full story from them. Christy Woods and Earl Kimry. Now I'm calling him Earl because that's what people called him, but his full name is Adolphus 
Earl Kimry II. So that'd be a little long to say over and over again. So we're just going to call him what his friends call him. So the two of them are going to explain what happened the day before the kidnapping. But before we get into the events of that night, let's discuss who makes up the Woods Kimry family. Mariah Woods is a stay-at-home mother at a trailer park located in Onslow County on Dawson Cabin Road. Her live-in boyfriend, whose name is Earl Kimry, is a serviceman at a heating and cooling company, like an air conditioning heating place. The three children that live with them are Christie's children from a previous marriage with Alex Woods. Um, the two older boys are five and ten, and Mariah is three. Now, like we said before, there was kind of a heated custody dispute. And because of everything that was going on, Alex Woods hadn't seen his children in a year. That's a long time. It's a very long time. And it seems like he was trying to get custody of his children because the Friday after when the abduction took place, they actually had a court date to discuss the custody of the children. Okay. He didn't want them living with with Christy and her boyfriend. So now let's get into the events of the night in question. The following information was given to police through interviews with Kimry and Woods. The family had just gotten home from a vacation, so they went to bed around 8 or 8.30, as we heard in the 911 call. The two said that around 11 p.m., they checked to make sure that she was still sleeping, and she was. Later on in the night, as the couple was in the living room, Mariah came out of her room because she woke up, so Kimry brought her back to bed, and that was the last time she was seen. When they woke up in the morning and went to wake the three-year-old up, she wasn't there. They check the house two or three times, and when they can't find her, they run around the lot where the trailer's located, and they still can't find her. So that's when they place the call to 911 that you heard earlier in the episode. But to law enforcement, this didn't really make sense. So the story the couple gave is already changing. At first, when he places the call to 911 and the first time they talk to investigators, he's going to say that the last time they saw Mariah was between 8 and 8.30 when they put her to bed. Well, now they're admitting that they checked or saw her two other times in the night. So now we have the last time that Mariah was seen alive was sometime after 11 p.m. When they put her back to bed. When when Kimry put her back to bed. Okay. Correct. And the 911 call was placed at 6 a.m. Hmm. So we can kind of speculate that the earliest that she might have woken up, maybe 11.30. So sometime between 11.30 and 6 a.m., she goes missing. But the 911 call was placed at 6 a.m. Don't forget they went searching for her. So the latest that she could have been taken, 435 because the couple woke up at 5.15. Then they had searched for her and placed the phone call at 6 a.m. But don't, don't you think, I don't know, I just think that if that was my child, the moment that kid is not in the home or outside, and it doesn't take long to search your surrounding area of your trailer area, you know what I'm saying? Right, and their lot. So if you go outside, look at your lot, look in, uh, well, look inside, nothing there. 
Look on a lot, nothing there. It doesn't take long. Like, I would be placing that phone call within 10 minutes. Right away, I know. Right away. So that's a lot of time in between there. No, there is. Well, I I think we kind of can't say anything about that because it's very common with children being missing. Well, I'm not saying... They're checking, they're double checking, they're checking. This is a couple that, for reasons that you'll find out later, their first phone call isn't to 911. That's obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm not saying that they were doing anything wrong in between what I'm suggesting. Well, they definitely probably were. Okay. They were probably up doing drugs. Well, that's what I was suggesting. So, yeah. it could be that they are cleaning up the trailer, trying to get rid of some stuff, or they really truly were searching one way or the other. People who, and it obviously it's going to be revealed that, they have a long history with law enforcement and they have extensive records. So when people have extensive records, the first phone call they make is never to law enforcement because they have a distrust because they're not law-abiding citizens. Well, that makes sense, right? You know. But when it comes to a child's disappearance, the most obvious scenario is usually what happened. And this is the theory that law enforcement is going to go on. It is entirely more likely that something happened to Mariah in that home than someone came in and took her. But if someone did come in and take her, like you said, she had to have known them. She had to So it's either one or the other. Something happened in the house or someone that she knew took her to not make her cry and to not have forced entry in the trailer. Yeah. I mean, that has to be. That's the only... Those are the only explanations, really. Right. I mean... You'll wake up the whole house if if it was some random dude or a woman. Right, and it's a three-year-old girl. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that... But then I think evidence that leads to it not being someone that she knows. If so, Like, say this is a custody thing. Because a lot of times child abductions are custody... Issues. Issues that are happening. Yeah. Then they wouldn't have left the shoes that she needs because she has mus- muscular dystrophy. Yeah, exactly. This is just like, no, I'm not saying the heat of the moment, but this wasn't done like, you know, um, this was done in a rush to grab her and leave if that is what happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, you're not packing anything. The kid don't have shoes on, uh, appropriate clothing. This isn't done like, oh, here, take your time, put clothes on. (laughs) You know, let's get you ready to go outside. No, I completely. It's definitely not like that at all. (laughs) I completely agree. Okay, so we're going to take a short break to talk to you about our first sponsor today, Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within seven days, their community of 300-plus professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift that you could give. Your song will live on a personal URL called Your Story Homepage, where you can listen and download the song, read the lyrics, and learn about your songwriter and share your song with family and friends. We're going to share a clip of a song that we had written for us. All we need is a radio, you and me in a car with no place to go. The best is yet to come for us. 
way you think and the way you smile Girl, you gotta know you drive me wild I dream of your green eyes all the time Yes, I do If I had the chance to do it all again Don't you know I'd do it like we did it back then Until my life is through I'll always be true Cause the best thing John, that's so emotional. I didn't know you felt that way about me. Yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta represent. You know, I gotta make sure <laughs> represent my woman. What? I have no idea, <laughs> but I have to represent. You know, um, all the men out there to treat your women right. Okay. You like I, that? I, I guess. Oh, no, that was just really up on a fly right all there. Right. But you know what? That's good. It, I those like are true that. feelings. Okay. I'm all an right. honest man. <laughs> now, if you want an amazingly personal song written for you. Or for a loved one, go to songfinch.com and get $20 off your personalized song that's going to be made from scratch. And you can do that by entering promo code TCC. Again, get $20 off your personalized song from scratch on songfinch.com by using promo code TCC. Okay, back to the show. So I want to take the time to go back to that statement that Kimry made in his 911 call. Remember, he referred to his neighbors as not being friendly. Well, that might be for a reason. Based on police records and documents that will come out later, it doesn't appear that the Kimry Woods household was a happy one. Kimry had more than a few arrests under his belt. He was a steady abuser of alcohol, heroin, and methamphetamines. There were calls to the sheriff's department for drunk and disorderly conduct and for domestic abuse. But that wasn't the worst of it. It appears that Kimry was abusive towards his girlfriend's children. It appears that Kimry was abusive towards his girlfriend's children for the entirety of their relationship. The abuse taking place in Lot 7 came to light in 2016 when Kimry was arrested for the assault of a child. This child was Mariah's 10-year-old brother. In the documents obtained from Child Protective Services, the two brothers reveal what had been happening to them. They claimed that Kimry would beat them on a regular basis. He would punch them and beat them with belts. They also said that on one occasion, they saw Kimry attempt to put his penis in their sister's mouth. Um... That's disturbing. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) The boys said that their mother saw and knew about the abuse that was taking place, but she never did anything about it. She did not want her boyfriend to leave the house. I couldn't imagine ever choosing that over. Let's just like let's quickly just really quickly get into the mind of uh, of this of the mother right now. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to understand that more than likely she was being abused well yes she was being abused and also he was probably their source of income i mean i don't we don't you know what i'm saying oh he 100 percent was she stayed at home and he worked as a like repairman right so in many cases we always find that when there is money and stability involved People deal with a lot more shit than they would normally do. Yeah. And, and I know this is absolutely absurd and, and way over the line of... But especially if there's a dependence on drugs. 
Well, right. If exactly. she doesn't have money coming in, but he can provide drugs for her. Listen, he's providing a roof over her head, food and everything, and then all their little extracurricular activities. Right. You're going to just let anything slide, especially yeah. if you're that type of person. It's sad. It's sad. I can't believe it. Yeah. There is, I mean, to speak freely here, um, I guess you could say a seedier side to Jacksonville, where sometimes um, there's, I mean, it's a Marine base, right? So you got a lot of young guys, a lot of things going on. So kind of to appeal to the younger crowd, there's a lot of bars, there's a lot of strip clubs, there's a lot of, and like, it's a lot of drug and alcohol activity. So sometimes when that takes place, you're going to have some seedy characters in the area. And that's what I think is, is happening here. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, we have it everywhere, really. <laughs> I mean, it, it's even everywhere, a- but there's an, I mean, you know when we drive... To see oh, yeah. my sister and my parents that there's an there's so many bars and strip clubs. There's <laughs> a lot for about I want to say the, like for a, a good mile two, or two mile yeah. stretch. There's probably about four strip clubs. So it's just important to know that although Jacksonville is an amazing town full of people who are serving our country, there's also a seedy side to it, and it seems like Earl Kimry is a part of that seedier side of Jacksonville. Absolutely. So after this event, after the 2016 reporting to Child Protective Services, Alex Woods and his fiancée, Heather Kraft, who has children of her own, wanted to seek custody of the three children. However, through an interview that the two are going to give with JDNnews.com, Woods claims that when he went to a lawyer to seek custody, they all, and he went to several of them, requested $1,000 retainer fees, something that the couple just was not able to afford at the time, but they were saving up for it. And in the time between then and now, Christy Woods was not allowing her ex-husband to have access to the children. Which is extremely sad, number one. Number two, if they couldn't even come up with money for a retainer for a lawyer... Do you realize that it was? It's almost next to impossible to even fight that. I know, and, that and that's the judge what she knew. What Alex Woods is going to claim is that the judge didn't even want to look at the write-up from Child Protective Services because they didn't have a lawyer. But I will say, there's a lot of reading in between the lines you have to do with this case, especially because it's a new one. So all the facts really haven't come out 100%. I mean, the latest. The releasing of the autopsy didn't happen until the 19th of this month. So it is very fresh and new. But in reading between the lines, something's wrong here. Um, A ball was dropped somewhere. If this was looked into by Child Protective Services and the boys are are, are admitting that they're being neglected and they're being abused. And they witnessed. And they witnessed their sister being sexually abused. They weren't taken away and... A judge would give you temporary custody. Yeah. I, I mean, so something must be unfit when it comes to the household of the father as well. But we don't even know that. Well, we don't know that. That's but that's me reading in between the lines here because if if an accusation is going to happen, sometimes you have the children temporarily taken away. I can see what you're saying. But just to give another side and another perspective, which, you know, it could be this could be the case. 
I feel like it's also because maybe a judge has so many other cases that they have to there look into. There is a lot of custody that cases if you in can't come court. up exactly. So if you can't come up with retainers to have a lawyer to mm-hmm. represent you, and you're trying to get custody of your child, they're probably going to throw your case to the wayside. I know, but I'm not even talking about judge judges and custody. I'm talking about child protective services taking these children out of a dangerous situation. Oh no, I, I agree. I, so I know what you mean. Something that's, weird that's happened here. Right, but then, right. So then, why wouldn't they be able to go with and their live father? With their father, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. something must be unfit with the home or the person's. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to make accusations, but the whole situation seems like there's more information that's going to come out over time. There's, it's going it, to have to to bring like light these, to this. These poor children, these three children, don't have a person that they can turn to. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. So although this may seem like. This would be enough evidence to drive home the theory that Kimry was the prime suspect in the disappearance of his girlfriend's youngest child. It wasn't. So there's going to be more than the documents from Child Protective Services that are going to be working against Kimry here. Because right now he's the prime suspect. When you look at prime suspects, a lot of things that people call into question is the 911 call. That was a pretty believable 911 call. He's out of breath. It, he seems frantic. He seems like... He's searching for her. So at first, no red flags are being raised against Kimry. But once the documents from Child Protective Services come out, it's looking a little shady. I I agree. I just think that it's, it is a little odd, though, how there wasn't as much emotion. I mean, I know it's not, you know, his child, but I feel like you should have more, a little bit more emotion and empathy. Like, I don't know. You thought he should have had a little he should bit have more had emotion. More. Yeah, like so, like yeah, maybe the panting and the out of breath, you know, is it gives more, I guess, uh, truth to the phone call. But there's not enough emotion there. Whereas if that was my kid, whether it was a stepchild or mine, I'd be I'd be probably crying. I think, you know, or or just completely distraught. distraught yeah. He doesn't sound distraught at all. You know, like, I don't know. That's just what I get from it. But yeah. everyone's different when they come, you know, they're going to hear it and they're going to come it's up with true. their own conclusions. And it's hard to judge a 911 call. It is. And in reality, the 911 call is never even called into question because it, there's other overwhelming evidence. Right. The FBI is going to search the house and talk to those unfriendly neighbors, in quotes, um, that Kimry was talking about. And it's through this that the FBI is going to figure out a lot of things. A witness told law enforcement that they saw Kimry putting a large object, which was described as being bigger than a book bag in his girlfriend's minivan. He then left the home in the van at around 1130 on the night the disappearance supposedly took place. To further intensify suspicions and call into question the involvement of Christy Woods would be what was found in the trailer upon the FBI search. In the couple's trailer, receipts for trash bags from different stores were found. Along with the receipts, the following items were discovered. Industrial-sized trash bags, gray duct tape, a section of gray floor mat from the van, four bottles of bleach, syringes, a shovel, a piece of carpet and carpet padding associated with the trailer, and a black flashlight. Also, in addition to all that stuff being found in the trailer... Kimry is going to be involved in a drunken disorderly dispute in the nearby beach town of Sneeds Ferry at a local bar, which is actually the town my parents live in, 
which is this so like so weird. It brings weird. you close to uh, close yeah. to it, right? Um, what it is is Jacksonville. The people that are in Jacksonville usually go to Sneeds Ferry or Topsail Island, which is that's the beach yeah. for Jacksonville. So like, if you're going to go to the beach, you go to Sneeds Ferry. So there was a local bar that he was drinking at. So basically, he was at the beach drinking. And got into a dispute with another man. And somehow there was another woman involved. Kimry and another woman were verbally assaulting another man at a bar. Like they were attacking him. Okay. But this is his actions two days after the disappearance of Mariah, which is strange. It is strange. So it just seems like everything's kind of coming to a head. Right? The R- long- yeah. And it might be him being stressed out because law enforcement's coming down on him. Yeah. It's, uh, everything's about to erupt here. It's crazy. So now, as the people of Jacksonville combed the woods for Mariah on December 1st, they were struck with the baffling news that the man they believed they were helping was just arrested in connection with the disappearance of the three-year-old girl. The community was confused at first, because initially the arrest warrant stated that he was being detained under suspicion of obstruction of justice, second-degree burglary, felony larceny, and possession of stolen property. However, the craziness lie around the fact that he was being held for $1 million bail. That's a lot. So he was never going to be able to get out of jail on bail. Now, although that looks strange to the outside, law enforcement knew what they were doing. They wanted to wait to charge Kimry officially in connection with the crime until Mariah was found. And then they knew what they could officially charge him with. So they didn't want to rush to charge him with something and then have to, like, backtrack. Right, so they were just getting him on either. They were waiting. Yeah, right. However, the warrant did state what the charges were. They were saying that Kimry had removed Mariah Woods' body from the scene of the death and did conceal Mariah Woods' death and body knowing that she died from unnatural causes. Also, the suspect acted with deceit and intent to defraud law enforcement. And just like Alex Woods found out that his daughter was missing through an Amber Alert, he, and now the community of Jacksonville, found out that Mariah was most likely dead through a warrant. But the searching continued. Mariah still was not found. But two days after Kimry's arrest, and six days after the 911 call came in, the body of Mariah Woods was discovered in Shelter Creek along the Shaw Highway in nearby Pender County. After the body of little Mariah was found, and the results from the toxicology and autopsy were in, Adolphus Earl Kimry II was charged with first-degree murder and felonious child abuse, inflicting serious bodily injury. In his address to the people of Onslow County, the sheriff, Hans Miller, said, The death of a child is always sobering reminder of how fragile life is. When the community is so deeply affected by such a horrific crime, it is sometimes difficult to not allow our emotions to influence the decisions that we make. However, the best way to honor Mariah is to ensure a fair and thorough investigation, which will lead to a successful prosecution. We must remember that through these moments together as a community, We can ensure that justice will be delivered for Mariah. We sincerely thank the community for their patience and support through this entire investigation. This was an important thing to say to the community because the outpouring of support 
and the search effort was really overwhelming. And the fact that the Marines got involved, it it became very emotional and heartbreaking to the community. Of course. I mean, how could it not? I mean, you have, you know, 700 plus people searching, searching. You have um, the Marines, Marines. you have the FBI, you have the local police sheriff, sheriffs, everything. You have all these people looking out. Yeah. You know, it's sad. The children are now living in the home of their paternal grandparents. As Christie's knowledge and involvement in the death of her three-year-old daughter are still unknown. She's yet to be charged with any involvement in the crimes whatsoever. However, the situation for the Woods children remains somewhat tumultuous, as their father has what has only been described as a volatile relationship with his parents. The children also specifically had to be listed under the care of their grandmother, as their grandfather has a long history of alcohol abuse. So, once again, reading between the lines here without trying to be, like, judgy at all, it really seems like... Let's just try to be as transparent as possible. It seems like all like no the one adults, can take care of these yes, kids. All the adults in this ki- on the, in these kids' lives are, are failing them. Are failing them. Yeah. So I mean that that doesn't help. Yeah. That doesn't help them at all. And I hope that their father, who really I have to say in all of like the interviews that I've listened to and from what I've heard him say, seems very upset and emotionally connected with his kids. And seems like he wants to do better for them. So I really hope that what's ever happening is put to an end and he betters his life and his situation so that his two boys, his two remaining children, can come live with him and have a better life. So I really hope for the best with Alex Woods. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, Without question. But in building their case, police have seized pieces of the wall as evidence. So that can uh, allow us to believe that the death of Mariah most likely occurred in the one place that she should have felt safe, in her house. Right. It seems like if they're going to take pieces of the wall, there had to have been some type of blood or other type of bodily evidence. Absolutely. I mean, that's for them to go in there and take a piece of the wall out, it has to be some damning right. piece of evidence. And according to the autopsy and toxicology reports, this is what has been determined. So this comes directly from the autopsy report that was actually released like not even 10 days ago. Mariah K. Woods was 28 pounds and just shy of three feet tall. She had abrasions on her left upper eyelid, nose, beneath her chin, and above her lips. It was discovered that she had early acute pneumonia. However, the cause of death is listed as chloroform toxicity. Although there were allegations of sexual abuse, the autopsy notes that there is no evidence of sexual trauma to her body. Her body was found enclosed in a plaid, zippered couch cushion cover. And in the cover, her body was wrapped in three white plastic trash bags, which were all tied around her neck. In the cushion was also a solid piece of cement curbing, most likely to weigh it down. Now, chloroform, what, what was that? What did you Chlor- say? Chloroform toxicity. So does that mean that there was chloroform used? Yes. There was a significant amount of chloroform found in her lungs and in her bloodstream. Okay. So really quickly, I just want to say that the one thing that I thought of right in the beginning when I was listening to this was, and I didn't want to say it because it would 
ruin it, but I really had no idea. I actually thought to myself, if this kid was taken out of the home or something was done in the home, it chloroform is. That, I was I was thinking, what if it's freaking chloroform? But. That's not what happened. I think that... Well, first of all, chloroform is really hard to get anyway, and it's extremely hard to make yourself I mean, these are well. these are drug addicts, so I think they have access to things that are, that are illegal. No, I, I agree. But, but what but... I'm saying is I don't think that the chloroform was used to get Mariah out of the house. I think it was used to subdue her in a Casey Anthony-like way. Okay. Where the couple wants to stay up and drink and do drugs... And they need to keep her quiet. Right. So, she, and that's so how they, they knocked get her, her out. Asleep. And then they wound up finding her dead, probably. Right. Which makes sense. Because there was no signs of sexual abuse. If, like, there was no, even long term, like, there was no abrasions anywhere that would have made us think that in any way she was sexually abused. Not saying that it didn't happen, might have, because the sexual abuse that the boys witnessed wouldn't be shown through an autopsy. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that this probably was happening to the children. Maybe even more than just Mariah, which is sad. It's a little difficult for boys to sometimes admit to sexual abuse. What if it's possible they were using the the, the, the sister as a way of proving... Of, of, of saying, this uh, is that it's happening, happening to, to me. me. <laughs> yeah. But yes, so you're right. Sad. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. But I think that it was a way to subdue the child so they could continue doing what they wanted to do. So they got their North Carolina version of uh, Zanny the Nanny. Right. So on February 13th, 2018, Earl Kimray, wearing a bulletproof vest, surrounded by five sheriff's deputies, learned that an Onslow County grand jury handed down an indictment of first-degree murder and felony child abuse inflicting serious bodily injury. A county superior court judge then granted the district attorney's request to seek the death penalty. So we learned that from things that have happened in subsequent to the arrest of Kimry was that there was a lot of fighting that was taking place that night. They didn't just go put the kids to sleep. One of the brothers, the, the five-year-old brother, I guess, was acting up, and Kimry actually punched him hard enough to cause a nosebleed. So there was some tumultuous activity going on in the house that night. So maybe that's how they got the kids to go to sleep. I don't know. But there was some aggression shown prior to what happened to Mariah, so it seemed like Kimry's mood was at kind of like a snapping point. Maybe he beat them all up that night. Maybe, but there was the only physical abuse that was seen was the bloody nose of the one brother. Well, she did have abrasions above her eyelid. And, and no, stuff she like that. did. She did. I mean, the two boys. Oh, okay. But another thing is, and what people are very angry about, because my, I mean, my parents retired to North Carolina. We grew up up here. And so they're, but they're down there and they're telling us, you know, like kind of what's going on with this case. And it seems like the community in which they live in is very angry because Christy Woods isn't being found responsible at all. She definitely was a witness to the abuse and most likely an accomplice in the murder of her daughter. How can you not? How can you not be an accomplice? Think about it. There's no way that she was able to just not see what he was doing. Like, if 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 the child died and was in the house... 
and he had to, you know, take care of it, you know, and, and dispose of a body. You don't think she would see that? I, I, no, I, I, there's no way that she didn't. That's what and I'm there, saying. But even at a very basic level of knowing that your children were being abused, she should at least be convicted of child abuse here. I mean, I. It's neglect. It's neglect. Yeah. And you know what? You're a mother. Your job is to protect your children. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she didn't do that. No. And, the, and she the let. The community is very upset Yeah. With she this. let someone else abuse her children physically, most likely sexually. Yeah. And kill your child. So, like, you did a horrible job. And then, and then went on national television begging for the safe return of your daughter who you know what happened to her. It gets me so mad. Know. You know, but um, I think at the end of the day, this is a case that we're that's continuing to unfold. Yeah. So as we get more information, we'll definitely post updates as to what is happening with em- Errol Kimry. And if anything happens with Christy Woods and if Alex Woods does get custody of his sons, which I think would be really good to, to reunite to reunite that family. Oh yeah, to bring some, and also to bring some, some normalcy. Sti- normalcy and some stability to the family, to the life because they those uh, two they boys. definitely don't have it. Correct. It's just it's a heartbreaking case all around, and we would love to know what what you think, and what your opinions are, or if you heard because we all really truly saw this case happen in real time. Right. So it was very interesting. I mean, in the beginning, it was kind of referred to as like very like John Bonet or very like. Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony, and we got answers with this case, which is always good, but we need justice for Mariah, and it seems like Onslow County is kind of trying to seek that justice, and we will keep you updated on how the trial's going and if anything happens with Christy Woods, but we would love if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you feel like supporting us, you can visit patreon.com slash true crime couple. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.